You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. On today's episode, we're talking with Tess Posner, Executive Director of AI for All, a new Oakland nonprofit that's introducing artificial intelligence to high school students, more specifically girls. The goal is to help high school students learn to use AI for good and to increase diversity and inclusion in computer science. As you'll hear, Tom got pretty excited about the AI for All because it's aligned to one of the recommendations from our December report called Ask About AI, which focused on the future of work and learning. In the report, he called for connecting experts and high school students to close the guidance gap and help more people use AI for good. Tess and Tom are both speaking on AI next week at South by Southwest EDU. If you're headed to Austin, join Tom at his AI meetup on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, join Tess and three other thought leaders on the challenges and opportunities AI brings to education. Don't worry, they're all linked in the show notes so you can easily add those sessions to your schedule. Oh, and Caroline, speaking of South by Southwest EDU, this year we're really excited to be an official media partner for the conference. We'll be on the ground providing live coverage and we'll be recording audio for future episodes. We'll add links in the show notes for you to get in touch with our team that's headed down to Austin and would love to meet up and hear more from you. Let's listen in to hear more from Tess and Tom and the work AI for All is doing. Tess Posner, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Uh, Tess, you'll have to indulge me because I'm going to start with a story here. Um, It was the middle of 2015 that I began to see a lot of um, articles about artificial intelligence. And I decided to make it my personal study topic for 2016. And after um, about eight months and, and probably 20 blogs on the subject, uh, we visited with our friends at Hewlett, who provided us some uh, grant funding to to do an all-out campaign that we called Ask About AI, to try to raise the visibility of uh, the rise of AI and and all of its implications for um, ethics, the economy, and particularly for education. Uh, the paper called Ask About AI, the Future of Learning and Work, was published in December, and um, Here's a couple of the recommendations at the end of the paper. So the first one is it's time to ask about AI, meaning communities ought to be having uh, conversations about this. Number two, uh, school districts should be updating their graduate profiles to uh, take into account the the new work-ready skills that we see. Things like profile of a graduate.org and my ways from NGLC are good examples. Number three, uh, districts need to update their capabilities, become lean districts, become more agile. And then number four, it's time to open source AI tools. And here's what that recommendation says. It says Google and Microsoft had said a good example with TensorFlow and Azure a machine learning But both of these tools take a good deal of judgment and technical expertise to use. In order to give every high school and college student exposure to open AI tools and their use, we really could use some advice on using open source tools. So I was hosting an advisory board meeting uh, um, over the weekend, and I was explaining this to some of the best education people in the United States that I'm super excited about the chance for young people to make a difference, particularly using uh, open source AI tools, but but there was still a, an expertise gap. 
And the very next day at six o'clock in the morning, uh, you popped up in my feed and I saw this story about your new organization, AI for All, and I just about did jumping jacks uh, because <laughs> you are a, a great example of the solution uh, that, that I was envisioning. So that's why we're talking today. Well, that's great to hear. That's great to hear and really resonate with the things that you're recommending. And that's part of why AI for All got started is to really address um, the the gap in knowledge and awareness and that there are those tools out there, but they're not accessible to everyone right now. And there's also a lack of awareness of what AI even is, um, unless you live in sort of a, a tech bubble. <laughs> and so we really have to get the word out there. We're going to come back to that. The other recommendations were to build a stronger social safety net because some level of job displacement seems inevitable. To build a new civic infrastructure, our cities have to be smarter about all the issues coming at them, like autonomous vehicles. Uh, Time for new ethical infrastructure. Uh, We're we're big supporters of uh, the new .orgs that are trying to raise the issues, both positive and negative. And then finally, uh, time to build smart cities. Uh, This is a bit of a nod to a book we wrote. Uh, three years ago about um, learning ecosystems to help people scale up and take advantage of exponential technology. All right, we're going to come back to your startup, but I would love to start with a little background. Uh, Tess, where did you go to high school? I went to high school uh, in Massachusetts at a startup school, actually. Um, So I started in sixth grade at the same time that the school um, began and went there through 12th grade. And it was actually a, a charter school, um, pretty, pretty uh, South Shore Charter School. Um, and part of the, the interesting thing is it really exposed me to the workings behind the high school because it was just starting up. Um, well, that made it somewhat chaotic and, of course, has all the same struggles as a startup. I think for me, it really shaped um, me going into the education field and, and really being passionate about why education can make such a big difference. That's really interesting. We'll come back to your interest in social entrepreneurship. So why did you study math at St. John's? <laughs> um, so St. John's, I again, my interest was in education starting in high school. And St. John's College is a interesting model of uh what's called the Great Books Program, where you study uh, the Western canon, basically, starting with the ancient Greeks. And you study philosophy, math, music, literature, language, and really in a holistic way, all the classes are discussion-based and really focused on understanding the history of thought from a Western lens, of course, um, and and engaging with that. And so the math um, focus, technically, you spend four years in math and then four years in philosophy. So you have a double major in math and philosophy. And I, I, I wasn't going to become a mathematician. But I think like philosophy, it really teaches you how to think, and how to engage with complex ideas, um, which comes in handy in my work every single day, um, as well as understanding, you know, what kinds of themes and paradigms have shifted in the history of, of Western thought, which is really helpful when we think about the context of um, our world today and social change in general and how that can come about. 
Uh, Fareed Zakaria wrote a, a great book on a defense of liberal education. So let's plug a liberal education in, the, in its relevance in this computer society, right? There's a lot of benefits to the kind of uh, undergraduate program you had. Absolutely. Um, I like to add that you also need to be employable. So you need job skills along with the critical thinking ability. And something along the way sparked your interest in social entrepreneurship. What was that? Yeah, I think that interest actually started in high school when um, one of our projects through the school was to travel on a relief effort to El Salvador to help build houses after a terrible earthquake that left uh, a lot of the population homeless. And so I got the chance to build a house um, working in the hot sun with my bare hands along with this family there. And it was really a transformative experience. I was only 16. And I think getting exposure to what poverty looks like and meeting people from other cultures just blew my world right open. And I really realized at that time that, you know, opportunity is not equally distributed, but talent and potential is. Um, And I really wanted to dedicate my life to trying to level the playing field. Because it didn't seem fair to me that just because I was born in a different part of the world that I had more opportunity to get a, a good education and have clean water and, and good health care. Um, and so I've been searching through my life of how to make the most impact since that time. And that's part of why I studied philosophy is really asking these questions of, you know, how can I make a big difference? What does it mean to live a good life um, and, you know, make move the needle on some of these things in the world that really troubled me. And so I decided to, after college, um, study social enterprise and social work um, and went to graduate school for that and learned a lot about different models of social change and uh, got to work in different communities, providing more um, direct service level social work, which was an incredible experience um, getting to work with people directly. Let's just underscore how important travel is as a learning experience, right? It's It sounds mm-hmm. like it was transformational for you. Absolutely, especially as a young person where you're kind of searching for your place in the world. And I think seeing that where you grew up, where you were born, isn't the whole picture is pretty profound. So how did you connect with uh, Samasource and Leila and Jana? Yeah, so uh, I just moved to the Bay Area a few years back, and I got connected with Sama Source, um, which is an organization in San Francisco that's working to um, alleviate poverty through providing digital work um, on a global scale. And they had been doing this work internationally, mostly in East Africa. And at the time that I connected with Lila, they were looking for someone to start their first U.S. initiative. And it really um, connected well with my experience in the education sector and my passion for um, really bringing uh, underutilized talent into the economy. And so I started a program called Sama School that connects low-income people to the digital economy I'm really thinking about, back to your earlier point, about the future of work skills. Um, Job training programs are often disconnected from the skills that are 
uh, in demand in terms of employers. And that's getting even more exacerbated given how quickly the economy is changing. And so we were building a, a training program around what are the, the skills that are going to be needed regardless of um, how the economy shifts. Going back to things like critical thinking, um, teaching yourself new skills, leveraging the internet to market yourself, um, basic digital skills, which we take for granted, but a lot of people uh, don't have in, even in the US. And so we launched programs all around the US and then actually expanded internationally. And now um, Sama School is training over 50,000 people all wow. around the world um, in new, new economy skills. Um, what's your AI story? When, when and how did that spark your attention? Yeah, so I was, I've been focusing on tech equity and really the tech sector and the tech economy as being this core place where opportunity um, comes about. And it's becoming more synonymous with just the general economy um, in terms of technology and how that has the potential to leave people out or widen the opportunity gaps that we see today. And so I was running this program called Tech Hire that came out of the Obama administration to try to create more inclusive hiring practices. And we were working closely with IBM Watson team to incorporate um, some AI training in some of the communities that we we're working in across the US. And like you, I became really fascinated with AI, not being a technical person myself, and started to do some digging and realized, you know, just how big of a disruptive force this was going to be, as well as some of the real problems that we were seeing, like the algorithmic bias um, creeping into AI systems and right. how that can potentially affect um, different segments of the population. And it became both disturbing and exciting to see like the potential positive opportunity of this technology, but also some of the risks. Um, and that's when I connected with um, the co-founders of AI for All. Uh, I, I found my two-year study left me feeling the same way, disturbed and excited, sort of paradoxical <laughs> about the extraordinary benefits that are obviously going to uh, be produced um, but then also the, the risks, uh, particularly about how those benefits will be distributed through society. Mm -hmm. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, and today's episode is just a preview of what you can learn from Tess and Tom and others if you're headed to South by Southwest EDU next week. That's right. You can join Tom on Tuesday for a meetup on the rise of AI and what it means for education. And then on Wednesday, you can learn from Tess at her panel on the opportunities and challenges AI and education brings. We've got them linked in the show notes and on the blog. And don't forget, we'll be recording audio for future episodes while we're there. You know you want to be featured on an upcoming episode. Shoot Jess an email or tweet us at, at getting underscore smart and we'll set up a time to meet. Now back to Tom and Tess. When, so when did you spot the, the guidance gap, this uh, idea that y young people could use these tools with, if they had just a, a little bit of uh, guidance and support? So we see that uh, a lot of the research when looking at who is left out of, let's say, STEM careers, including AI, 
we see that young people often, um, especially girls and members of underrepresented groups, lose interest or get discouraged at an early age um, in high school or, or sooner. And so we actually decided to build our model around an, um, intervening at that time. So we run uh, summer camp and educational programs for underrepresented high school students, introducing them to AI in a humanistic context. Um, we have them work on projects and we partner with uh, universities like Stanford, UC Berkeley, Princeton, Carnegie Mellon, and others to develop these projects related to some of the most interesting cutting edge research in AI today. And we find that, you know, our programs are several weeks long and students can already start engaging with AI and working on AI projects in a very short amount of time. If you contrast that with the narrative of, oh, AI is very exclusive, it's really hard to get into and you need, um, it's very opaque in terms of how people think about actually accessing it. And so we're trying to break down those barriers and make it more accessible. Um, we know that not everyone who graduates from our programs is necessarily going to become an AI engineer, AI researcher, and AI developer. But because this technology is going to touch everything in society, it's critical that we have informed people across all industries, You know, whether it's in uh, the criminal justice system and how AI is going to and already is being incorporated, right. uh, whether yeah. it's in healthcare. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It'll help decide who gets a house and who gets a loan. Exactly. Already is, right? Already is. And so you need to have people who really understand enough to be able to inform and shape how the technology gets integrated into current industries, processes, and systems to ensure that it's done in a safe, responsible way that minimizes risks and ethical concerns. So what's the um, founding story on AI for All? Who started it? Uh, how'd you fund it? Yeah, so AI for All was started by um, a world-renowned uh, female technologist called Fei-Fei Li and her, her PhD student, Olga Rusakovsky, and another person, Rick Summer, who runs the outreach programs at Stanford. And they started a pilot program um, Fei-Fei Li is the director of Stanford's AI lab, and they started a pilot program in 2015 to really start addressing the diversity crisis in AI and this idea that the benefits won't be shared and those shaping it, uh, the technology from the ground up, are pretty homogenous. And so they brought a group of young people into the lab to learn AI, and they found incredible results. Um, it was focused on uh, high school girls. And we saw that there was incredible increases in confidence, um, technical ability, the sense of belonging to a community and being connected to role models um, had a profound effect on these young women that they were able to see what's possible in AI and that they can be part of this too. And it can be very empowering. Um, one of the things that we've seen is that our alumni who have gone through this program have gone on to do really amazing things themselves without really much guidance from AI for all, other than we are just providing these tools. Um, some of them have gone on to start their own AI initiatives, which is pretty amazing. 
and they've reached over a thousand other underrepresented youth through their efforts, um, including things like uh, three of our alumni started something called CREATE, C-R-E-A-I-T-E, which introduces middle school and high school girls to AI through neural art and really combining AI and creativity together as a way of um, seeing the potential and engaging a wider variety of people in, in AI. Um, or we have students who start AI clubs at their school um, or have already won research um, competitions competing against adults in AI. And so I think we see that if we bring more people into this conversation, um, amazing things will happen and we will hopefully uh, better have the chance to have AI live up to its potential as a, a world-changing and, and beneficial technology for humanity. So how do you think about your mission today? So our mission is really to, number one, um, increase diversity and inclusion in the AI field and making sure that um, the benefits and opportunities in AI are widely shared and not just held by a few. And so we're trying to bring that to as many um, people right now in North America, but eventually, hopefully globally um, and beyond to really um, democratize access to these tools and ensure that there are enough um, diverse voices involved in shaping this incredibly important technology. Um, and we know that we can't do that alone. So we have an amazing community of, of partners and companies, um, research institutions, universities, and community partners that are all part of this mission with us because um, it's really a, a community effort to make this happen. Um, initial programs are after school, summer school. Is that for the time being your focus? Yes. Yeah, so we have um, summer camps offered in 2018 at six universities across North America. And there are two to three week summer camps um, that high school students can apply for. And our applications are open right now. Um, we also offer ongoing educational opportunities for um, our students all year round, as well as mentorship opportunities where we pair AI professionals and researchers with our students to work on AI related projects in healthcare and environmental space, um, in the education space. And they're working on really exciting projects together to continue to build their knowledge and portfolios. Um, and we're really excited to continue expanding this reach and partner with other organizations that are doing um, similar work, but really bringing that AI component expertise to it. That's really exciting. Uh, in addition to the geographic spread, what uh, what's on your roadmap? Um, so we are continuing to deepen the ways that we support our alumni and making sure that they have the tools that they need to um, get into the field successfully and uh, and share this beyond. Uh, we see things, amazing things already happening for the young people in high school, but we want to continue to make sure that they have what they need um, beyond that. I'll give you one example. Um, one of our graduates shared with us, um, until this program, I never thought that people who look like me could succeed in computer science and AI. So if you take that statement, um, there's a, a really important role that we have to lift up other voices in AI um, 
you know, people that you don't usually hear from and making sure that they get heard and seen so that they can inspire others to um, potentially go into the field or to learn more about it. So part of what we're doing is trying to also advance and lift up those other voices to be in the conversation. Uh, Tess, how do we deal with the fact that most um, that that AI is so new for most educators in North America? Uh, how do we bring them along? How do we make it okay for them to learn along with the kids? To because that can be a barrier to accessing these programs that adults don't want to admit that uh, they know almost nothing about artificial intelligence. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it can be a real challenge um, to figure out how do we integrate this new types of curriculum into schools and into other programs. Um, That's part of the reason why we're thinking about ways that we can further open source our curriculum and potentially offer it to schools, offer it to teachers, um, because it's it's a tall order to try to train um, everyone in AI in order to teach it. Um, And so we're hoping to play a part in that and be able to offer some of our learnings more broadly in the community. That's great. Yeah. And I also think it is something that, you know, everybody, it is more accessible than people think. Um, So there's definitely a perception that it's extremely difficult and you have to be a quote ninja or rock star or expert or um, genius to be part of it. And that's just, uh, I think, uh, exclusionary language that we need to move away from. It, it is. When you think about a, an iPhone 10 and an open source program like TensorFlow Lite, um, high school students, maybe with the guidance of a, an undergrad or a, a postdoc, uh, really can take on uh, the local version of, their, of a global problem and, and do some pretty remarkable things to wrangle a data set and um, point one of these open tools at it and, and really make a contribution. hundred percent. It's absolutely accessible. And we train people in, in several weeks to be able to, um, you know, start working on AI projects. And we've had students who are um, taking that knowledge even further. Um, there are a lot of tools out there. And, um, you know, one of our, our students, for example, she's been doing research on using machine learning to help improve surgeon technique um, in surgeries. And she actually won best paper award at one of the largest AI conferences called NIPS Um, and hundreds of submissions, you know, most not from high school students, (laughs) but she actually won um, her paper one. And it's a pretty amazing thing to see. And it also shows that, um, you know, talent is everywhere. And let's not leave out people that we think can't do it um, right now. That's really awesome. What's your take on the, the current uh, coding for all trend? What's the benefit of that? And what concerns do you have about it? Yeah, I absolutely think that it's really exciting to see um, places like code.org or CS for all begin to make some headway in getting computer science in all schools. Um, it really is a basic skill uh, in our new economy. And it's it's crazy that people learn things like, you know, the structure of a cell um, in high school, but they don't learn how the internet works or how to protect your privacy or what a virus is. 
Um, and so these things are, are critical for every single person in today's world. So I, I really applaud their efforts. And I think AI for all is very much um, in uh, collaboration with, with what they're doing because the AI component is critical as well. And I think that, um, you know, every, every person in today's world should have access to computer science education, whether or not they're going to be a computer scientist. It, it is a challenge for schools to keep up and uh, make decisions about what to teach and how to teach it and decide whether to focus on more uh, vocational career oriented aspects of, of coding or take a broader approach and teach computational thinking. See a lot of districts um, puzzling over those important questions. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think both are important. Like we talked about before, you know, you need to have liberal arts education is really important, but so is, um, you know, training for specific job skills, um, which is becoming harder to do because the types of skills or the shelf life of skills, if you will, is uh, decreasing. So what's in demand today could change in a few months. And so that's really challenging for providers at the post-secondary and the secondary level to keep up. Uh, Tess, where can people find out more? So we'd love to have um, feedback, partnerships, um, become part of our community. You can go to our website, um, AIforall.org, or visit us on social media, um, or feel free to reach out with, with questions or ideas. Again, we can't do this alone, so we'd love to, to hear from you. Do you have a session at South by Southwest? Um, yes, um, several panels, one at South by Southwest EDU that's focusing on AI and education. Um, please come and join the conversation. And then another one at um, South by Southwest Interactive, which is around the human side of, of automation, um, which is another panel. So please come and join me if you're going to be there. It's exciting. And I have an AI meetup at South by Southwest. So come by there and there's a good chance you can uh, visit with Tess as well. Uh, Tess Posner, it's been a treat to have you on the Getting Smart podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed the conversation. We're excited about your mission and uh, look forward to supporting your work. Thanks. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you to Tess Posner for spending time on the podcast with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit subscribe. We've got a lot of great episodes in production and can't wait to share them with you. And for more on all things innovations and learning, visit our website, gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica and Caroline signing off.